quite often that goes out the window when they're talking about forms. Um, a, a superb example of this is the work that um, Brad Wright did on Yahoo Answers with their, um, I think it's their, their workflow for adding a question to Yahoo Answers. Mm -hmm. Now, there are hundreds of nested categories on Yahoo Answers that you can add your, your question to. Mm -hmm. And in the, the JavaScripty workflow, as with quite a lot of sites, you select from, from the first drop-down, and then another drop-down appears with a whole bunch of other categories in it, you know, subcategory-type things. Mm -hmm. Now, what Brad could have done, like most websites, is just present one initial drop-down with all of the initial choices, and then another drop-down with every subcategory from every choice, or presented one big drop-down with every subcategory listed with its, its major category or something like that. And, you know, and that would have worked. It would have allowed people to select the right category. Mm -hmm. But it would have meant that... Boag World is produced by the... You know, you would have to scroll through maybe a couple of hundred different categories to put your question into. Yeah. What Brad did instead is used nested field sets and radio buttons so that you can... Design agency, headscape.co.uk. They're cool. Hire them. You can select your top-level category with one group of radio buttons... And then that is essentially the, the header for a field set, if memory serves. Um, and that field set then contains the radio buttons. Highly recommend them. This week on Boag World, Steve Krug talks about... That for the subcategories of that category. Wow. It's not elegant, you know, and you do get a, a really, really big form. But it, you know, but it makes sense and it, it provides the same level... ...usability. Steve Marshall talks about form design... ...of information and the same flow that you would get with the, you know, the progressive drop-downs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's things like that, just putting that little bit of extra thought in, thinking about how this might... And I rejoice over a new era of browser support in Europe. ...work with HTML. Mm. Um, to, to go back to the, the search example I used earlier, I have to, you know, full disclosure here... This is something that I did myself. Um, about two or three years ago when I first started working for Yahoo. And it's, it's something that various people trumpet as brilliant. And I'm very proud of it. Very modestly so. Um, but no, but I, I feel like it's an example that gets abused, but it's a good example. Essentially... Everyone, as I was saying, uses uses hyperlinks to to create the channels for the search. Of course, if you don't have JavaScript, you type your search keywords into the box. You click on the the images link, for example, sake to search for images about, let's say, Britney Spears. The podcast for all those involved in this. And what happens is you get get redirected to the image image search homepage with no keywords. Yeah. Which will be really frustrating. The, the way I fix... Running, developing and running websites on a daily basis, on a daily basis, on a daily basis. ...that, if you will, is um, rather than using links, which, as I said, won't be presented to screen readers and will lose your keywords, as, you know, it's just two problems with it, I change them for radio, radio buttons and start... ...them to make them look like links. Hmm. And it's, it's a really, really simple change, and it just changes the interaction ever so slightly so that people without JavaScript, people using alternative browser mode... Designing, developing, designing, developing, running. All these different things can use that, that interaction and can benefit from it. Mm. 
I mean, what other... It's interesting you mention that search example. What other kind of accessibility... ...problems are you seeing coming up when people are creating forms? There's, I guess most of the problems are, are around people not thinking about the way that their form... Um, the way that their form would be interacted with in alternative browsers. Mm. And yeah, the classic example is the screen reader. But things like um, screen magnification. People uh, may not necessarily group the form fields together or may put the errors away from the form fields to which they're related. Yeah. And so if, if you've... you've with screen magnification who doesn't necessarily get or potentially tunnel vision who doesn't get quite such a broad view of the page you know they only get maybe the couple of hundred pixels that they magnified they don't necessarily hello well have the context of the error message right next to the form and so they don't get to see that error message and will get frustrated. Into the 202nd episode of Boat. Mm. I mean, to be honest, I think that, you know, that even... A, do you know what? I'm going to start doing things differently with, with perfectly, you know, with normal vision users as well. That, you know, if yeah, you have yeah, a, an error message... At, I'm fed up with saying the top of the form in the same intro I do every week. Hello and welcome to Rocket Sur Scroll down to the bottom, you know, it, it, you need to put the error message which is where you're made easy interacting, where the errors occur really yeah yeah exactly the 200 and uh, you know an episode about just all of this stuff world.com which is a podcast about web makes sign with a couple of exceptions it makes life and mine easier for for your regular users as well mm-hmm. name's paul Berg, and joining me is um marcus Lilly. It, it just and hello paul i'm all confused i don't if it doesn't improve life for Everyone, it say now. generally for a significant enough portion of your user base. Um, uh, we say the same thing every time. That, that it's worth paying attention to, I think. Mm. What about board with it? Did um, you say designing, developing um, JavaScript? You've mentioned no. JavaScript a couple of times. I didn't. Although, um, I, you know, I would entirely agree that I put that in the intro music. Well, uh, now, um, you need it's to, there now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's already there. So to use JavaScript to massively enhance a basic HTML version. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, there are some cool things and useful things you can do with JavaScript. Um, your intro music went, oh no, we've already said, you know, about last show when it, it comes to forms. And I was just interested in your opinion about, you know, what examples of when it went good JavaScript use yeah. have you seen with forms? The, the, the absolute someone best one. Um, slag it off on Twitter, which made me feel better. Well, in fact, the two um, that I've seen are um, on the Yahoo Finance site. One of which is the, the currency converter. It was it's a really, really simple... Appalling, I think was the word they used. Uh, thing to do. Why? Currency converter, or so you would think. Um, but the work that's been put into the, the currency converter on finance is so super they do things like we've only got 140 characters you type into do you want a kind of detailed critique you into the text box to specify which country uh, which country or currency you want to want to convert from and 
as you type, it will intelligently search through... ignorant or not. I think we'll assume they are. ...lists of countries. OK, because I like it. <laughs> ...giving you their, their currencies if you don't know the currency for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, currency codes, if um, you search for a currency code, the full name of the currency... <laughs> OK. ...and a whole bunch of My, other stuff. It just undermines your case there. And it's... it's because mm, not being the musical just genius. really <laughs> smoothly designed... <laughs> But if you don't have JavaScript, it still gives you a very, very good base interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, we're, another example. we're here again for yeah. our podcast on finance. Is, I'm re- um, you really have the ability to not- change the layout in- of, the, um, of the top stories page. Changing layouts, you know, is, frame of- is something that... Here again for I've, a I've, podcast. I've got no... I've got no, I'm not nothing. I'm a lot of different sites this week. I've got no typically CMS-type things. Nothing at all. Um, and what what they've done on the finance site is made this this thing work with JavaScript. Nothing but to it's, um, it's... I tell you, yeah, I've just... <laughs> actually been built... I'm too spent. <laughs> ...for screen readers <laughs> for various other users. It works flawlessly. You don't have to necessarily be able to see the form to be able to move the items up or down. Using our brains all morning. Yeah, we've been a list. A headscape board table, which is enough to drive anyone. And quite a lot of people would would say, okay, well, you should be able to drag and drop the items. Well, that's great, but what about the people who don't, who can't use a mouse? I do feel a little bit punched. For example. Yeah. Drunk. We're a very grown-up company now. We have have been called meetings and everything. I mean, do you think that there is a case where, you know, although that, you know, something works and a Billy wore a suit today, just basically to get a reaction well, level without JavaScript and everything. If you had, you would have got a reaction. That, you know, it would have been very funny. I, that it's not always necessary to provide exactly the same functionality, you know. That, oh, completely. Yeah, completely. should have done it. And then lots of people completely. on Twitter suggest... Um, that's the dies wore a ninja I mean, suit. <laughs> or what's the suit? Interesting thing about the the likes of the currency converter and the finance layout changer is the fact that the functionality oh, of the, <laughs> would have been particularly cool if I turned up with a web not presented identically, but it, it still gives well, yeah. a web suit a web the web core functionality, particularly with suit. Yeah, the currency converter. It still gives you the core com- functionality you want to be able to convert from one currency to another. Mm-hmm. It's just with the JavaScript be cool as well. <laughs> version it gives you much more and ever one of those three into it so you can but as my things like surprisingly most people on say i'm going to guatemala on on the i don't know what the currency is but give me you know give me the guatemalan currency on exchange with the pound the interweb couldn't imagine mm-hmm. for me wearing a, and you, yeah. you don't have to know that whereas with the but i wear the non-javascript version if memory he still looks scruffy curves, you know you um, have to know which currencies you want yeah. It gives you the option to search for them, but you would have to, to actually use them. Yeah. I live a scruffy in place. You'd have to, you know, think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Know those currency codes. Um, so, so, yeah. Great to me. I look. Using JavaScript to provide scruffy a, at my own. A, a different um, but enhanced um, interaction is perfect. Wedding. It was terrible. I can't. I can't. Fine. So long as. I can't not look. You can achieve scruffy. the same result. And that's, that's the key that's thing. The thing is thinking about what the problem is and what the then it won't. best way to achieve that, uh, you know, to solve that problem. Looks scruffy. Yeah, but they're expensive and too tight. <laughs> it's in, in, you know, the situation you're in, whether that be plain old HTML or whether that... Pay for it. So anyway... Fully... There we go. 
WYSIWYG, I did the- JavaScript, crazy nonsense. <laughs> crazy nonsense. something I ought to do, because I promised, um, to- is that a technical term? Yes, that's a very... <laughs> Mr. Clark, <laughs> do it okay i mean it's for for some of the people out there that maybe really this is just the um you know i i'm not a bit of a favor but you just look very good yeah i'm not the yahoos of this world they're not the googles of this world you know that are just quite rang up and and creating fed would i would really base what's the kind of workshop that he fundamental advice that you would want to give people running about the moment okay and I have to say, I, I'm, I'm design. What are the things that they should be considering at the most? Quite keen to, not just basic level. Okay. Um, so because Andy, I guess Clark is the big thing is as a, as a friend, as I said a couple of times, think about what your HTML is. Doing. But also because it's um, being run by Rare. You know, by all means, sharp. Think about how you would like it to work with JavaScript. But the, f- the guy that does, will you start implementing jQuery for designers? Thinking, thinking yep. about how this should work I th- without JavaScript and without CSS. Mm-hmm. Think is awesome. Does some really cool stuff. Or um, it's also worth or- you know paying attention to <laughs> um, to accessibility experts in or- or- the world because that may, may impact yes the way you the way you. I need to practice my American awesome for going to just be for your form, for example. Don't. Um, one of South the, by my absolute good, favorite good. pieces of advice is one that Anne McMeekin gave. Uh, Thursday. Ever. Um, it's Thursday. A talk she did for the for the Web Standards Group, where she t- next Thursday. Next Thursday. I'm told everyone there that, that apparently screen doing? Yeah, we screen readers in certain configurations will read out the just talk about that. No, legend we've been talking of a field set before each and every um, very field with your very serious business stuff this morning before each and every input within that field. Yes, yes. Uh, so, um, for example, if you have about going to get dr- uh, field and like how we're going a field whose label is um, the web Look, you know, produce- and the legend synergy and do and, more than we didn't. Of the field set that it's in is search. Customers. Customers. That will be read out as search the web. Yeah. And, and, you know, try to use these sorts of things talk back to your advantage. Customer service. Yes, but we... Um, but at the same time, at least be aware... We didn't say synergy at... Um, so you're not... We should have. No. We should have. ...playing the face of... Uh, no, let's... You know, of your users, essentially, and, and make... Should we do some blue... ...their experience worse. Yeah, it is. I mean, going to South by South. Really all about just thinking about what's the, the lowest barrier to entry. We do some blue sky thinking. What is the core functionality? And what's in working with? Mm. I mean, ter- you mentioned earlier, for- it can help with a mode um, for screen readers to use a strategy. Um, so can you explain that a little bit more? Because yeah. I don't think, you know, I, I suppose we could. I, I, I confess. So anyway, so I only relatively very cool recently found out about this form mode. Oh, like, no, that's, um, and, and I don't think a lot of users realise the consequences. Southwest. No, I've, I've, of that. Can you explain how yeah. that works? I promised that. Okay, so um, Andy, and if you're listening, full disclosure, I'm not this. I did try, and you know, I'm not an accessibility guru. Um, this is your all information I've just picked up from. But Marcus wouldn't let me. Sure. Conversations with our ability gurus here. Um, so anyway, essentially, screen yes, he's, he's uh, basically readers are Remy's um, doing modal because uh, you know because 
the users of screen readers can't see the web shop page. Um, the screen reader presents them with pancreas with various in London on May the fourteenth different interfaces um, onto the page. And Remy's going to basically and you can you know you can read through um, well, through the page as a normal user would in HTML, reading through element by element paragraph query for paragraph. And now, a jQuery is fine. It's just so cool. And if you have but when you want to interact, you obviously got need different types of into it. This is a great controls point that would let you do lots. So screen readers provide what's known as forms mode. So and this is a special mode for good editing inputs. And, and he said, "Awesome." You have got a point with working awesome. with forms, where the screen reader because you know, awesome um, um, is only about inspiring all, as I understand it. Form fields, labels, and Although titles of field set. I've got a lot of respect for Remy. So, the links, paragraphs of text. He doesn't, doesn't quite go he that doesn't far, does he? These sorts of things won't require or in me. Presented when you're in form mm. mode. Mm. I mean, um, that's, that has real no. consequences, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. So it has massive implications. I'll stop using that. Thank you for corrections. So... Quite often, people will. Jared Spall pointed out provide explanatory text after a form field that's not is awesome, entirely clear, what, what? or whose label is not entirely clear, saying you need to fill out the field in no. this this format. So date field inspiring or an awful being example awful. You know, you know they will put a paragraph on yeah. the saying must. That's a good point. Because you think full be in the format DDM why why why. And a screen reader user will never get that. Yeah. That will never be presented to them because it's in a... Stephen Fry. Yes, he would. Paragraph. Get him on the show to <laughs> ask him. Oh, when... If the person building that form um, just took a couple of minutes... Cool. Yes, now you're talking. ...to rethink the way that yeah. we're putting the label together and, you know, put well, if you the label with date and then a span... A crappy little around video for .NET magazine. ...must be in form... Oh, a good video whatever inside of the label and then styled it however they but want crappy little <laughs> the screen reader user would magazine. would get that and they would get all the advantages <laughs> of knowing what format it should be in any friends there <laughs> uh, i mean it's all uh, it strikes me it's all about well yes quite actually using the the form ta- so why not our tags that are available to us to the full degree? I mean, so many yeah. we're just as important yeah. as don't use things like groups and regions and, and, yeah, come on, reckon, you know, lessons. all of yeah, those exactly. kinds of things. He's, he's my... Um, yeah, precisely. And the, Mate. Oh, oh. the interesting thing is that these things that... I'll drop him, right. He follows... Aren't really on Twitter. ...used are actually really, really beneficial. So, for example, Long um... About... Field set. 300,000 other people. Again, as I'm... <laughs> I thought... And I may be slightly misquoting here. I cut that down a lot. He did, but... Um... I followed... Field sets... On the very early day. Um, allow... Days. Uh, we stopped um, at... Screen point. Just to... More easily jump uh, between sections. Right. And that's why... If of a form... Happened to be lucky. And so... You didn't have to follow if, them at the beginning. For example, you have... Uh, optional... But it is still... Pieces of your form... Ridiculous number of people. And they're grouped in a field set, which says, you know, don't further detail. Too much joy. Brackets optional, and the, f- the legend of the field set. Anyway. And they don't want to fill out right. those further details, because they can just jump over it to the mm. next. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Let's talk. 
which yeah yeah no no just just amazingly valuable i mean if as soon as you listen to a screen reader and hear how laborious it is we want to finish this with being able to skip over content is really important i mean i was going to say about the remy uh, workshop other than those of us who are who are lucky enough to you know be absolutely brilliant you can find out more about it uh visually capable and fully able to use motor skills because of course uh, um whilst i think about um going to uh, tinyurl.com doesn't include screen reader users this applies to people who have forward potentially slash a most ridiculous url motor skill issues really you should have given us a bit better one um so they have to navigate with a keyboard this which, which then you get into things like tab index and j g like that exactly, exactly. f um d which is you know a whole other um holy e war that i'm one four oh five one dread to get in zero upsetting someone just um yeah you know these of the time yes of things again can help with that yes you're gonna have to want and thinking about those sorts of things just makes but if you do a, a find life easier because i mean for example find and replace a google I don't always use a mouse. I will quite search <laughs> often use a keyboard. Find it. Jake, yeah. you know, and I'm perfectly Jake. able with my hand Jake. and perfectly um, able to see, but I will quite often... Sharp. Workshop London. Tabs are a form. Simple. You'll get it. Cool. What about Andy Clark? Because my fingers are already on the keyboard and it saves me moving my fingers a couple of inches. It's currently Austin. Because I'm lazy. <laughs> Goes... <laughs> I know! One else. So, I mean, you've kind of mentioned, uh, uh, you know, no, he was telling me about, about? that. He's stupid people in this. Stupid. He's a stupid man. Did he get it just? Um, mm-hmm. You've learnt various things from, uh, you know, if. Uh, get the dates wrong. If, no, no, no. People <laughs> just want to you know, learn more about kind of form accessibility <laughs> and form design and that kind of thing. Where, where would you further. So the other who who do you think? Because I said I'm not really repeating this on spec in this kind of show for you, field, and that you know they should be following Randy, unless uh, do something well, spec. Um, so I guess the people who, in terms of in terms of pure accessibility, are uh, Boagwardless. Um, so if you, I would say definitely the pro- Mike okay. Davies who Boagward when goes by Isafaro or Isolani. Sign off up. You don't change okay. Any money off. Um, ben Hawks Lewis, who I don't think has a blog, um, okay. or if, if he does, doesn't blog. Because Andy's tight. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but uh, a random person. Uh, um, Dirk. Um, up with that cut. I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this right. Dirk Ginnard will also uh, win the. Inter- who is post? Uh, who I think is web output de. Right. Um, Tire set and of a beautiful web DVD. And, Collection, which is Andy's set of I, those three guys particularly um, DVDs. And McMeekin, um, who goes by for microphone formats, designing with CF. Michael Diva. Mm-hmm. All of those guys are absolutely invaluable resources in terms of HTMS and designing web accessibility. CSS. So there you go. Your little bonus if you have accessibility type stuff. Other than to go that, along and further. I have to admit, I don't really know. That's cool. Because this stuff is. It's stuff that people don't talk about enough. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and so it's very much a case of you have to sort of... So that was cool. Yeah. So anyway, that... Scratch that you can find... was a massive big advert. He's got a better ad... You know, from what's left on the web. The last... If you like. Yep. Sponsors get... Okay, so that's really... Steve, thank you for that. That was, that was very helpful. It's good to kind My of... Pleasure. 
dig under the surface a bit. So, yeah. thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. And hopefully Don't talk all over the sponsors' adverts. We will have no. you on again soon. That's true. You show them respect. I do. Yeah, hope so. Thanks, Paul. Well, we don't. Are they? Okay, so that show, Andy, any? <laughs> was um, our interview with Steve Marshall, and that... Did you know Steve also takes photographs of bands? Steve is, yeah. Very good. So, yes, go on and talk about South by. He is a good for... Oh, you put me on the spot now. Uh, <laughs> he's a man of hidden um, the breath and depths. He showed me lots. I've completely forgotten very cool photographs about while I was a bit drunk. Mine, so was he, to be fair. Oh, was this at South by? <laughs> by the yeah. time? Yes, it was. <laughs> well... Do you know the other thing about... I mean, obviously not completely forgotten, but... Steve? Today, it's imp- it had not dawned on... Awesome. Yeah. One second. Find a good photograph of him. <laughs> and until you said it, that I'm going... I, to I, I to it, find a photograph for the show notes, and it just... It either looks mad or drunk. Thursday, yes. basically, you've got a choice between the two. So it's yeah. got long set. So what we're going to do show one is the show must go... So that about wraps right up this week's... Yeah, absolutely. So, we, mind you, we will go, except for obviously Marcus's joke. I bet you see, see I feel so sorry very for the people that listen to the bite-sized version hard when we're out of the show because they miss out on your joke, Marcus. Uh, I can't there, so we might not have to leave anyone down. I'm Paul. No. <laughs> Pre- do they? They don't, do they? they just- so we've got. Um, we're recording a show. Do they? <laughs> They're growing in popularity. Uh, what well, does that mean? I don't have to do jokes anymore. They. No, you have to. Oh, yeah. As usual. That will go out. It's still part of it. And perhaps you ought to release your joke as its own bite size. Friday. So we fly out on the Thursday. No? Maybe not. No? <laughs> then that show will be released Friday. Yeah. And I don't think that justifies a whole blog post. I think maybe own. one a year might be good then, enough for that. Next week's show, we'll be recording while we out. We're a compilation. You could edit out all <laughs> of the jokes from all of the shows. Put yes, them together. I could, could that, I? Hoping it would be padded. Great plan. I like that. Interviews. A bit like this show, to be honest. <laughs> yes. As you will find. I'm not going to do that. Are you not going to do it? Do you it? want me to tell this? this yeah, week? tell this joke. And then we can wrap the show. This is from. But good interviews this week, rather than the South. Eugene, thank you very much. I don't know. I can't decide whether I like it or not. It's one of those. Um, it might be shit. Mm. But they might not. A married couple was in a terrible accident where the woman. I don't know. It depends who we have on. One more drunk person in another's face was severely burned. The doctor. Really this the is husband. not a good start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rowdy bar. That's hard to listen well, to. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm making. <laughs> you're making a joke about Burns victims. Yeah, I am. Okay. I can't remember where it goes. Dumption will use some of our stock interviews. Anyway, I'm just going to read on. The doctor told the husband that they couldn't graft any. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yes. Genius. Which is a better. Any skin from. Oh, I remember. Yeah. From her body because she was too skinny. Oh, dear. So it's still a decent show, but with the husband, we'll record a little bit from out there because because I did offer today. So hang on a minute, this is an anorexic Burns victim. Anorexic this burn. is getting better. Yeah. Okay. No, it's about generosity. Can we pre-record it all like now. We could carry yeah, on it's like that. <laughs> so the husband do the name, offered to donate but some of his own skin. I think a little bit from South by Mark. However, quite nice. Yeah, and we can certainly do like the new. only skin on his body that the doctor felt was suitable would have to come from his buttocks. Yes, that's a surprise. I could see that. Well, yeah, well you know, but that's probably show and all that stuff. Yeah, it's probably where there is a lot in a, in a room. Come yeah, on. exactly. Yeah. To skin, I imagine so. It might have happened, I guess, take a fat you are. and quite sort of quite quality, but I'm sure people are smiling. Do you think they want us dis- you know, discussing malleable? Maybe <laughs> that's a good logistics, <laughs> isn't it? Malleable. <laughs> Anyway, the husband and wife agreed that I'll they, be sure they to would use it more in conversation. Yes. Sorry, my intro organisation. They might like that sort of thing. In this joke too much. I, I don't. I don't. Want to become, <laughs> as much as you like. I can, I can just about. Seen look. What, what I try and do. 
is if you can be bothered to record them. No, I can't. I've lost where I am. <laughs> is do I remember? Uh, the husband and wife agreed that they would tell no one about where the skin came from, and requested that the doctor also. On- I think the first time we went to South by Southwest, I did secret. Let me let like. A, can I guess? Like, yeah. End. Does, uh, the out. He have a tattoo on his butt. Bro was one clip after another after. Yeah, another. backside. No, oh, no just, that would have been ha, cool. Ha, 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 ha. Okay. Uh, well, yes, that would have actually been better than people, uh, and that. That, that was quite probably better than the actual punchline. <laughs> but there we go. Um, good. After all, yeah. it was a very delicate matter. We'll see what we. After the surgery was completed, do I might everyone was a step. We can do something because that would be quite cool. But I don't think they'll the woman's new beauty. Be a bite-sized show that she looked more beautiful than we don't know much than she had ever done before. All her friends and relatives just went on and on about her youthful it down beauty. One day she was alone with her might not uh, with her husband and she was. Got, mm. Okay. Overcome with emotion. So that's that job done. I'll tick that off of my office focus task list. <laughs> Sacrifice. She said, I just want to thank you. I have now promoted it. Thank you for everything you did for me. There's no way I could ever repay you. And he replied, I get all the thanks I need every time I see your mother kiss your See, I'm all cheek. <laughs> we had a good, that was the best bit about our board, board meetings this morning. Charlie telling Chris and, and Mark. No, that is funny. And I... Put that <laughs> I like there that. you go. That is a good one. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Marcus. And um, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Another show is done and dusted. Yeah. <coughs> we'll return next week. Back. How oh, uh, surprised you are. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, with our. Uh, I don't really care. <laughs> pre South by show. Because you will be overexcited children. Just like that. Yeah. Except nobody can see that. It's an audio podcast, Marcus. So, Good. Is that it? Is that Charlie doesn't listen. How we're going to end this pop? Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. La la la. Okay. Do nothing about. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
That makes sense. It does, because when we break them down into bite sizes, everyone gets annoyed by an ad. Nah, good point. But yeah. this, this, you know, the, the RNs we try and keep obviously related to web design at least to some extent. So, yeah, cool. it's cool to have. These guys. Good. Stuff. Right. News. News story. News story number one. The search for inspiration. I'm always going on about this, aren't I? Um, about how do you become more inspirational and look for, you know, where do you get your inspiration from? I think it's an important issue because I think as website owners, we tend to be conservative, you know, in, in our design, you know, what we approve of from a design point of view. And as designers, we tend to jump on the latest design trend and either result quickly ends up in a website looking the same. So uh, we need to be more inspired and to look elsewhere. Design Instruct um, has an article this week outlining some of the ways you can find inspiration. However, other than the recommendation to look to the history of design, which is not something I've considered before, none of the suggestions were really that original. Most um, we've discussed before on the show, but you might want to check out the article anyway if you haven't heard us talk about inspiration in the past. However, there is a second post this week from Smashing Magazine, which I have to say was truly inspired. It's a good one. It's entitled Find Inspiration in Uncommon Sources, and it lists some great ideas of where to look. And my favorite sources of inspiration were board games, which I thought was quite original. Very good. Food, which was very original. And fashion, which I thought was good. There's places to look for inspiration. They're certainly not areas I'd considered looking at before. Um... And it was interesting that shortly after reading that post, I stumbled across an amazing post about food design of really, you know, beautiful creations out of food. So I put a link into the show notes to that as well, because that's really cool. So check out those three. I just thought something else. What's that? Nice Paul on Twitter Mm -hmm. decided that you should now be known as Web Design Dad. Yes. What was his logic? I, I, I did read it, but I wasn't paying attention. Well, I'm trying to remember what it was, but it was something along the lines of you provide advice, but you uh, and you inspire. Yeah. But you also sort of give people a slap when they when they need one. Oh well, that's yes. about right. <laughs> but it did well, make I me quite laugh. like that. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. so that means that if Zeldman's the granddaddy of web design, I'm the daddy. Who's the mummy? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like that. I'm the daddy. Yes, I thought you probably would. That's oh, good. Thank you. Good. Thank you, nice Paul. That's why he's nice, you see. design dad. Right. Shall we move on to the second news story? Yes. CSS3. Um, we've talked a lot about HTML5 and CSS3, and on, especially on the we 200th have. episode, we went on and on. Everybody wanted to talk about it. Really boring. Hopefully, mine, it's left you keen to get stuck in. It's not that boring, actually. I quite, it's quite cool, some of the stuff you can do. Um, especially as, you know, now that kind of, I think we kind of got across in the 200th episode that these technologies can be used right now rather than in some future date where they're universally supported. You don't need to have universal support, um, before you can, you can start using a technology. And that's because of progressive enhancement because, okay, so if they're not universally supported, then, you know, these are really just enhancements to your site rather than crucial for its operation. So if it doesn't work in all browsers, it's not the end of the world, really. 
Anyway, in case you are interested in, in finding out some more about CSS3 and getting stuck in, you should check out two posts. Um, you can use CSS right now and CSS, uh, sorry, six smashing principles. Uh, <laughs> Six smashingly practical CSS3 effects that you can use right now. So two very easy to say titles there. Um, I'd recommend with the one um, which is you uh, can start using CSS right, CSS3 right now as it focuses on basic stuff like rounded corners, drop shadows, um, and alpha transparencies. Once you've got your head around that, then turn your attention to the second post, which really has got some mind-blowing stuff in it. So, for example, it includes CSS-only CSS content sliders, CSS-only drop-down menus, image-free um, speech bubbles, 3D ribbon effects, awesome buttons, letterpress type, all kinds of really cool effects that you can build just with CSS3. So it's very cool. Definitely worth checking out those two articles. Cool. Now for the big one of the week, the massive story, the story that eclipses all other stories, and a story which led to to Rich Quick from our forum actually getting a phone call from the BBC. It was um, some guy that was reading this story being discussed on the B, um, well, the a journalist from mm. BBC reading it on the BBC on the Boag World Forum about this story, and Rich was being very opinionated as only Rich can, um, and so he got a phone call. Cool. So did I, but I mean, I always get phone calls from all the from time, major yes. major agencies. Exactly, you know, I'm yes. much more laid back about it. You know, <laughs> but it's nice to know the little people get those calls too. <laughs> Rich, I love you. <laughs> people enjoy it when I talk with an overinflated ego. Right, <laughs> I can't take that back. Can I? No, I did say it with a laugh. Do you think people got the laugh? No, but I can remove the laugh. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> so I just say it straight face. Yeah. <laughs> so I do it straight face now, so, it's, so you can edit it. It's nice to see that the little people are getting phone calls from, from the mass media. Got that? Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so I haven't said what the story is yet. Oh, no, you forgot that bit. Um, we have known it was coming for a while, but the moment it's finally a here, at least in Europe, this is a Europe-only story if you're in America. <laughs> um, Microsoft now has been forced by um, the EU to offer a range of browsers on its Windows operating system, not just Internet Explorer. This is major, 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 and is being rolled out pretty much as we speak. According to SitePoint, um, this is, will happen any day now um, through an automatic update and it's going to affect every single user that has IE as their default browser. Uh, Just think about that for a minute. Apart from those that don't, aren't, haven't got the automatic update on. Yes, but the vast majority of people have because it's on by default. Yeah, yeah, it's just corporations. Well, yeah, this isn't going to solve the corporation issue. Yeah. But it, I think it does put further... Very cool. I was looking at the order they've got them listed. Well, should we like tell them what it is first? Yeah, go on then. So, and then you can say that in a minute. So this is what SitePoint writes. The browser choice screen will be offered in Windows XP, Vista, and 7 to users who have IE set as their default browser. It will be installed through a standard automatic update system. Following the installation, a new browser choice icon will appear on the desktop, and the IE icon will be unpinned from the Windows 7 taskbar. An introduction screen will appear that explains what a browser is. I know it sounds stupid, but it's actually very important. A lot of people don't realize. The user can then opt to select later or um, proceed to the browser choice screen. 
The five most popular browsers are shown in random order, and those consist of IE, Firefox, Chrome, Safari, and Opera. Not in that order. Not in that order. Random order. A further seven randomly ordered browsers are available if the user moves the horizontal scroll bar, which no one will. Um, the system can download and install any of these or any number of these browsers. So what were you going to say that you thought was cool? Is it random? Yes. Okay. My comment is irrelevant then. I think people will think it's some kind of um, you know, virus on the machine and they'll go, Oop, quick, get rid of it. Yeah, but it won't allow them. They'll have to make a choice. Or ask, or they'll go deal with that later. Yeah, but it, they'll keep getting reminded continually. And I, it'd be interesting to know whether you can then launch the browser, launch IE, or are you going to be forced to make the choice before you can launch IE again? If, you, if it says ask me later, then you will be able to launch IE. You must be able to. Mm, possibly. I would have thought so. Anyway, who knows? I think, I, th- I think you're being pessimistic. I think this will have a massive impact. People on- don't care. No, I, that I agree with, but I still think it's going to have a massive impact on the European browser landscape. I'll tell you why. Okay. My bet is that the big winner is going to be Google. Okay? Yes. Many users will play it safe and stick with the blue E that they know. Yes. Okay, so sure. nothing will change that. However, Google are really pushing Chrome at the moment. They're doing TV ads, they're doing billboard ads, they're really going for it. And Google is a brand that people know. They're going to recognize the word Google in mm. that list. Yeah. Interestingly and bizarrely, Apple have not put the Apple name next to Safari in their little icon, which means nobody knows because people obviously know Apple. So, they, you know, they would have stood Apple in good stead when it comes to a choice of browser. Well, I like my iPod. I'll have the, the Apple browser. Yeah, it's really only iPhone users know Safari, don't they? And yeah. iPod touches. Yeah. So I don't think necessarily people are going to recognize the brand name, but they are going to recognize the brand name Google. Mm. So I actually think we're going to see a, um, a significant jump in in the number of, of people going for Google. I think they're going to be tempted. You know, when it says you can install as many browsers as you want, you mm. know, I think they're going to be tempted to click on that Google icon, just to see what they get. So that's that's my gut reaction. However, I've saved the best bit till last. Because according to SitePoint, they say IE6 and IE7 users will be prompted to upgrade to IE8. So that means whether users upgrade to IEA or opt for a different browser entirely, we're still going to see a dramatic improvement in standard compliance in Europe, which is cool. You've that, got to say. That's very good. Very good indeed. And it, it's, again, that's going to put massive pressure on even corporates that have got automatic update turned off. You know, it's another, yet another message. You know, there's Germany saying get rid of, you know, IE6. There's, there's, um, there was the other cat. I think it was France saying so get rid of IE6. You've got Microsoft for crying out loud saying get rid of IE6. Yeah. You know, it's but, becoming to a head, isn't it? That yeah, whole area. Yeah, work on YouTube, anything like that. Yeah. So well, YouTube won't work on it. Yes. And um, Google and all the rest of it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's big moves in the right direction. Very, very happy about that one. Um, so the final news story I wanted to mention is e-commerce development tips. I'm very conscious we don't cover a lot in the news for developers on this show. We don't talk a lot about um, developer stuff. And to be honest, that's mainly because I don't understand much of it. <laughs> um, however, there was an article this, this week that caught my eye, and I thought I'd share it with you. It's the 24 e-commerce development tips, uh, which appears to be a comprehensive list of technical things um, to consider when developing an e-commerce site. So the article covers everything from database configurations to handling complexities of discounts and that kind of stuff. And there was one part that jumped out to me in particular, 
which was, oh, I'll read it to you. It says, Ajax is fine for checkouts, but not for product browsing. Don't um, load products or product previews in DHML windows or as um, an Ajax widget. Search engines won't be able to find them, which means you won't be able to sell anything, which means um, you'll go from full-time to part-time to contract to unemployed. <laughs> like the way that's worded. Yeah, there's a bit more to it than that, though. <laughs> yeah. Which brings me on to my own post this week about JavaScript and e-commerce, which yeah. was, um, which if you haven't read, I would highly recommend that you go and read. Um, and it, it, especially if you happen to be considering building an e-commerce website any to, uh, you know, anytime soon, I really think you ought to go and read about some of the accessibility problems around um, e-commerce software and supplies. I won't bore everybody with it all here. It's worth saying that the statement Ajax is fine for checkout, not for product browsing. Ajax is fine for checkout as long as it works as long without as it, yes. Ajax as well. It's a progressive enhancement. Which is not the case for the vast majority of them. Yeah. And that's what we've discovered this week is basically almost all um, of the um, big e-commerce software doesn't work with JavaScript disabled, which is horrendous. Um, you know, we, we discovered that very few of these packages, you know, will work without JavaScript. Um, and if you include, you know, if you include your website, if you use this technology on your website, it's equivalent to turning away one in 20 potential customers, which is just ridiculous. Yes. So, food for thought there. Okay, so we actually have two interviews on the show this week. The first of which is an interview with Steve Krug, the author of Don't Make Me Think and Rocket Surgery Made Easy, hence the title of this show. Steve Krug is a real hero of mine um and i've got massive respect for the guy and it was a i was like a little kid interviewing him um so it was really great to do and um he's such a humble nice guy really liked him a lot um and he was very nice about the website owner's manual halfway through so that's good um it's worth saying that Did this you hand him a piece of paper saying Save this <laughs> no because he was in america and i was in the uk so i held it up to the webcam instead um <laughs> The, um, the, it's worth saying that this interview is supported by What Users Do, which is a remote user testing service. Um, so from only £25, you can watch videos of UK testers um, using your site and hear their spoken thoughts. So you can order online at whatusersdo.com. It's also worth saying that Steve Krugs talks particularly about these remote user testing um, tools later on in, the, in his interview. And to be honest... A bit of a surprising response to them. So it's definitely worth checking out what users do dot com. Okay, here's the interview. So I'm really excited to have with me today Steve Crew. Good to have you on the show, Steve. Oh, I'm really glad you asked me. So uh, uh, do you know what made me think to, to um, get you on the show was that the fact that one day I was just uh, I went along to Amazon and uh, there it said under recommended books. Steve Krug has got a new book out called Rocket Surgery Made Easy. And it was an instinctive reaction. I couldn't help myself. I just did that one-click ordering, and before I knew it, it turned up on my desk. And I, I'm, I'm such, I've been such a fan of um, your original book, uh, Don't Make Me Think, that it, it was just an instinctive reaction to buy the new one. So, well, <laughs> Thank you. I, 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 I wish I could count on more of that reaction. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the glory of, of Amazon one-click ordering. It's just far too easy, isn't it? Well, I know. I, 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 uh, I even mentioned in the book that, you know, I mean, people, people often say to me, you know, they send me comments about Amazon as though I had some in with Amazon, because they did mention <laughs> Amazon a lot in the 
first book and they think I can, I have Amazon's ear somehow. I've never talked to anybody at Amazon and it's said in a new book, but I have, I, I do have an Amazon Prime membership, which is as, Ooh. as, as close as I come to being connected, which, but they've hooked me. I, with Amazon Prime for whatever, well, I don't even know what it is. It's $79 or something a year here and you get second day delivery. Yeah. And so, uh, they completely eliminated the thought process for me. Absolutely. If I'm interested in buying it at all, I'm going to buy it on Amazon because uh, history has proven to me that if I shop around, I won't find a particularly better price. And with with the with the the second day shipping, you know, it'll be here in two days. So. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing we, that gets me is: Have you seen the, their iPhone app? I can be out in a shop. Yeah, you know, I can look at look at, at the thing sitting in front of me on the shelf. Look it up on Amazon. Go. Ooh. Can I be bothered to wait a couple of days and go, yes, click, and it's all good. <laughs> I know, I Talk know. about don't make me I, think. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's terrible. I, isn't I it? actually, I have experienced pangs of guilt being in a, in a Barnes and Noble here. Yeah. And, and seeing something on the shelf and, 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 and opening up my, my iPhone and, and clicking on the, in the Amazon app. I, I, I feel a little bad about that. But, <laughs> but now I, 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 I will tell you, uh, uh, I actually um, did the same thing with with your book last night, which I didn't know about. I Ooh. went to your went to your website to check on, uh, 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 you know what what had changed about about your podcast since the last time I listened, and and there there was your book. Although your book is not actually on the homepage of your consulting firm's website. No, it's not. Uh, I, I, I I I sense some. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there's nothing. There's there, nothing untoward. Discussions that. about about taking up crucial homepage space with your with uh, your book. Well, it's it's difficult. You don't see the the secret is you don't actually make a lot of money out of books. Well, you do make a lot of money out of web uh, design. You know, you know that too. Well, I <laughs> see. I, I'm I'm the, uh, but I'm the, I'm the oddball data point because I actually have made some money from my book. But I, I but but um, nobody makes money from those books, which, no. which nobody knows. Exactly. I mean, you, I mean, that's the thing to say about, um, you know, about uh, Don't Make Me Think. I mean, it was incredibly popular. Why do you think it became so popular? Um, my theory is, is because it was profusely illustrated. I love profusely illustrated yeah. books. Um, I, I'm, you know, um, I think it was, it's, it's the mix. It's the fact that it is a mix, that, it, that it's um, uh, approachable. Mm. Um, and it uh, it sort of boiled a lot of things down. It's very short, so it's a quick read. Uh, for the most part, it's been the its its life story was that it was the book that people gave to other people yeah. to whether their boss or their or their coworkers or their clients or whatever to uh, explain what they've been trying to explain to them for for years, mm. so they could hand it to these people. And because it was profusely illustrated and because it was, um, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, engaging, I suppose. Usable. Uh, I'd go that far. Yeah. <laughs> that people would read it. I've had people say my, my father-in-law was, uh, you know, visiting us over the weekend and it was lying on the table and he picked it up and read it. His father-in-law had no interest at all on the website. So, so it is the kind of thing that people can read fairly casually. But it does seem to make uh, you know I, I say over and over I'm not I'm not I didn't make this stuff up I'm not really saying anything um, that other people haven't been saying for years including a lot of the people who who buy the book but but they've been trying to say it to other people who 
whose business is not usability and uh, so that seems to be what it gets what it gets bought for is to to make the case to other people mm. i mean but, uh, I, I found it i found it an amazingly approachable book and one that that um exactly as you say that that kind of um, it, it, that I could pass on to other people and that, you know, it, it's the one book that I say to tell everybody to read even before anything else. You know, people, especially students come to me and they, they you know, they say, you know, what should I be learning? Where, where should I start? And I actually, even before I recommend HTML and CSS books and all that kind of stuff, I, I re- say read, don't make me think because... Oh. You know, everything else builds off of that. If you create a great user experience, um, then, you know, the, the technology should be second to that, really. Um, well, thank, I appreciate that. That's very nice. And it's actually been picked up for a lot of, of courses, which I we yeah. never would have anticipated. I had no idea that that would ever happen. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's talk about, you know, your attitude and approach to usability testing, if, if there's anybody. Oh, and I, by the way, yeah. I, we got, we've got to do a plug for, for your book, which I'm <laughs> now eagerly awaiting uh, uh, a website owner's manual, which strikes me as a really good idea. I've thought for a long time that what do people, people do? Uh, you know, there are all these people who are faced with the prospect of, gee, I've got to get a website together, and they are faced with a completely blank slate you know they they don't have any of the skills and they don't even know who these consultants are who they should be hiring and they don't have no idea what they should be paying for it and what the main things are they should have in mind so i think it's a great idea for a book i'm, I'm looking forward to, to oh, reading well, thank it. you I, I'm, a, I'm a bit nervous about you reading it when you get to the chapter <laughs> on usability that you might ah. realize quite how heavily influenced i've been by don't make me- <laughs> there's a nice big picture of don't make me think and a good plug in there so oh, you'll great, be fine <laughs> well like i say I didn't make this stuff up, so I, no. so you know. Yeah, let's let's talk about your your attitude towards usability, uh, and in particular, the the one thing that strikes me from reading um, certainly your original book. I have to confess, I haven't read the new one yet because it's only just arrived. But it's even shorter. I know, which which looks great. Uh, that's the kind of book I like. Um, so you've got this attitude of. It seems to be all about making usability as accessible to people as possible um, and about keeping it low cost and lightweight. Why, why do you feel that that's so important? Uh, because it's so valuable. You know, it's, 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 the funny thing is anybody who does some uh, usability testing on, on their own stuff, on what they're, what they're working on, um, I find that that inevitably the reaction is, "Wow, we learned an incredible amount from that in a very short period of time." Mm. So it's it's uh, it produces fabulous actionable insights. It points out to you with very little effort uh, things that are going to cause users trouble. You know, so yeah. so while you could get the same information, uh, prob- you know, even a little more efficiently, to hire hire somebody who's worked in usability to do uh, an expert review for you or something, that's expensive. And, and usability testing, which the kind I'm describing, the uh, do-it-yourself discount usability testing, just means bringing a couple of people in and having them try to use what you, you're building and having them think aloud while they do it, while you watch. And that's kind of all there is to it. So, mm. so it's so simple that... that uh, um, you know, I think everybody should be doing it. Uh, it's if you hire somebody to do it who has the experience that, then 
in order to justify uh, them being hired, they kind of have to make a production number out of it. Now, yeah. now I'm not saying there isn't value in hiring somebody to do it. Uh, I, there's a, people who do it for a living can do a much better job of it than amateurs ever will, and they will provide a lot more value. And it is worthwhile. But m- most people can't afford it. You know, mm-hmm. most people just don't have it in their budget to to hire uh, consultants to do usability testing for them. Uh, even though it is enormously valuable, so I, I, you know, I've sort of decided over the years that that it's, um, it's something almost everybody, anybody who has a website or is building web apps or apps or whatever, should be doing some usability testing. It should just be part of the design process. I think I think it'll end up that way. I think it'll start getting taught more. In, you know, if you're taking a, if you're in a design program, uh, I, I think inevitably you're going to end up taking one short course on usability mm. uh, user experience and, and that's kind of all you need if it's not your focus it, but one one short course is enough to get the basic principles across and and um, so I think we'd all be a lot better off I, I think if if everybody who was building a website included a small amount of time during the development process to do a little bit of usability testing then I think uh, you know the stuff that we're out there using would be much much easier to use in general Mm. Uh, it doesn't doesn't take an expert to mm. to do it. So I mean, what do you have that experience? You've 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 sat through usability tests. And, oh yes, uh, and and I just think they're very they're eye opening. They're almost oh, always absolutely. And I know? think that's the that, I mean the thing that really strikes me about you know you could get an expert in to do it, and you know we do usability testing for for our clients, but there there is something about seeing it for yourself. You know, no amount of reports will replace that experience of sitting in a room and, you know, seeing the fact that your usability test person doesn't know how to use a mouse because they always use a trackpad on a laptop. Exactly. You know? Exactly. It's, it's a, I describe it as a conversion experience, mm. that there's, some, there's this seeing is believing effect to it. If you sit there, you're actually sitting there and watching somebody try to use the thing, you, you, people's eyes just open. They just they get it. They suddenly understand how different the user's perception is of what they've been building from their perception. And they understand where they there were oversights, where there were things that they didn't anticipate or didn't understand. And they, underst- and they suddenly understand that the people who are using this don't see things the same way they do. It's, uh, it's, I describe this conversion experience. because I And in fact, as you'll see... Um, I mean, in one sense, the, the, the new book is, is, you know, an expanded version of a couple chapters that I had in the, in the first book. But in another sense, it's not, in that um, I wanted to spell it out as a detailed how-to, so I wanted to kind of give everybody the information they needed to sit down and do their own usability testing. Mm. And in thinking it through, I actually sort of, sort of realized a bunch of things. And one of them was uh, to, to become kind of adamant about the fact that you really want to have people come and watch these tests. Yeah. That they really have to sit there. Everybody, everybody who's involved, the yeah. people on the development team, the stakeholders, any management that you can convince really should come and watch some of these tests because even just watching one or two users is, it gives you that eye-opening experience and then, yeah. then you want to watch more. Yeah. And as you say, reports don't do it. Reports don't give you that same experience. They, no. You know, I mean, another thing that you talk about, um, which I guess is a, a problem when you hire an expert to come in, is that if, if you're spending a lot of money on usability, there's this, there's this danger that you will only do one round of testing. Um, right. And that's something you warn against. Why, why is that such a big concern from your point of view? 
Well, because uh, it doesn't need to to get the the information that you need and to get the information that you can use at any given point in time. You don't have to make a big production number out of it. Uh, uh, if uh, and if you don't make a big production out of it, then you can do it more than once. You know, usually if usually if you're hiring a consultant, you're paying five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, whatever, um, for this project, then you're not going to do it half a dozen times during the course of the development of the of of the website. You're going to do it once, and you're probably going to do it near the end. Yeah. Uh, explain in the book why it makes sense that you would wait until the end when the thing is almost what people are going to see. But the fact is, you get so much more value out of doing testing early um, than late because if you do it at, if you do it near the end, basically you discover these major problems, but it's pretty much too late to fix them. Hmm. Whereas if you do it in the beginning, you actually can discover the major problems very close to the beginning of the project and fix them right away, and so not build anything out based on these based you know on on these mistaken assumptions or whatever. Um, so if, if, if you know, you only need a couple of people. I I, I argue at this point, I argue for doing th- only three people. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's really getting more and like, more extreme. I isn't like it? your reaction. It is extreme. <laughs> It is extreme, but but there are a lot of reasons for it. And, and if the, if you keep it that simple, then you can do all the testing in one morning. Mm-hmm. And I, I my 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 suggested serving is that you do you do do three tests in one morning and then debrief over lunch. And that way, your your team's investment in usability testing, and you do it once a month. Right. And, and, and so that way your team's investment in usability testing for most people, other than the people who, person or people who are running the tests, um, is a half day a month, and that's yeah. it. And at the end of lunch, you've decided what the major issues are that are problematic at this point that you're going to fix before, before next month's testing. Um, and the, there are a lot of reasons for this. One is if you keep it that simple and you limit it to three users – then you can do it. You want to do it on site. You want to do it, you know, in a conference room at, at, at your location someplace, and get people to actually attend. So you can you can say, okay, the third Thursday of every month, we're going to do a morning of usability testing. Put it on your calendar. You know, ha- have that expectation that you, on on the third Thursday of every month, you're going to come and watch usability tests, and. Th- that way you can get as many people as possible to actually come and observe in person. Mm. If you're doing a whole day full of, you're doing eight people to kind of justify, you know, that, yeah. that it's really legitimate, then who's going to come and spend a whole day watching, watching eight users? fact is, by the time you've tested three users, um, you start to get um, uh, diminishing returns, basically, mm-hmm. after three, where you start to see the same problems again and again. Everybody who's sat through a whole day of user testing behind the two-way mirror or one-way glass or whatever knows that 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 you start to see the same problems over and over, so you get get less value out of it. But I also would argue that, in fact, if you do more than three uses, you're probably going to turn up too many problems. You're going to turn up more problems than you can actually deal with. In fact, with three users, you're probably going to turn up more problems than you can actually deal with because... Uh, the problems are so easy to find that almost everybody's resources for fixing the problems uh, is less than their yeah. know, their ability to find problems. You know, so how many times have you seen a site, you know, done testing for a client where you present them with a report that has all these problems in it, many of which are actually serious problems, and then you come back 
a couple of months later, and, and the most important ones haven't been fixed. Yeah. Some of the less important ones have been fixed. Perhaps many of the less important ones have been fixed, but the most important ones may be a little harder than the less important ones. You know, they, they, they may re- require more thought and more effort, but, but it's clear to everybody they are the most important ones. Sometimes you'll have something that's just a deal breaker, like nobody can find their way through our shopping cart. Well, that's <laughs> <laughs> problematic, but, but it may not get fixed. You know, there may be people saying, well, that'll get fixed in the next version. That, you know, we, we don't want to put the effort into that right away. So I spent a lot of time in, in the new book talking about how you really have to, uh, just focus on the most significant problems and mm-hmm. you've got to figure out how many of those problems you're actually going to be able to fix in the next month and then cut the list off right there. Mm. You know, so that that's part. People come and watch, and then over lunch, you have that discussion where people compare notes about what really were the most serious problems. That, and it's kind of fresh on everybody's mind. They just saw that people have trouble with it. It you know has that kind of emotional charge to it. I mean, um, what what the argument that that you would get, I guess, opposing a viewpoint like that would be that. You know, when you're testing such a small number of people, um, you know, is that really representative of, of you know, the, the real po- problems? And, uh, you know, perhaps those people aren't as demographically accurate as they should be. You know, right. do those things really matter? Well, I, I mean, it, matter, they, they are, they're very legitimate questions. You know, I mean, we take the question very seriously. And, and you're right, that is sort of the first objection that people are going to raise. Um, uh, I, I phrase it as, you know, people are going to say, is this statistically valid? Yeah. You know, is, there, is there validity to this? And the answer that I give, uh, actually, ha- I have a, I'm very happy, one of the things I'm very happy with in, in, in writing the book was I put frequently asked questions at the end of each chapter. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be a great, I highly recommend it. It's a great literary device because you don't really have to figure out how to work all of these issues into <laughs> the fabric of the chapter, which you know from writing your book is hard. Yeah. Um, but if you just have a frequently asked questions list at the end of each chapter, then then you don't have to work them. <laughs> sit there, right? So, uh, my suggestion to people when 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 someone questions that whether this is still statistically valid because you've only you know you're only s- sampling three people is no. Um, it's it it's not statistically valid. There's no validity to it whatsoever. There's no statistical validity to it at all. But it's obvious to everybody who's there watching that these are real problems and that these yeah. are real problems. You know, the worst problems are just obvious to everybody when you're sitting there watching. There's no argument about. Yeah, I mean, you can argue about well, what our what our actual audience. You know, these people may not be who we think of as perfect representatives of our actual audience. But it's actually very easy for people to say, well, but they're close enough. These, you know, if these people had a problem, then our actual audience would have a problem too. Yeah. Because problems are so bad that you look at them and you say, anybody would have this problem, mm. you know? So, <laughs> yeah. So I find that there's very, while that's a great argument in the abstract and people are going to ask you, I think once people sit in the room, and actually watch, they, lo- they, they, they lose sight of that argument. They don't worry about whether it's statistically valid because it's so obvious to them that these are the real problems, you know, mm. and the, the things that we need to fix. Mm. Um, so, so I just tell people, don't get into that argument. Just say, nope, you're absolutely right. This is, <laughs> there's no statistical validity here at all. So the, the next question I've got 
is is an unfair one really because um i'm i'm basically going to ask you to summarize your new book in a couple of lines (laughs) in the sense of you know how how what advice would you give people starting off um in terms of terms of running their own kind of effective low-cost usability test session where where do they start what's the key things they need to look for um other than buy your book obviously well, I mean, buying the book, buying the book is good, but I, I, you know, there's, there's actually there are some chapters from the book online, and um, there's actually a demo usability test online uh, that that people can watch that kind of shows uh, what how I do a test and oh. how simple I think it should be. Yeah, actually, it's uh, it's at uh, peachpit.com, my publisher. If they search for Krug, or they uh, can go to rocketsurgerymadeeasy.com. And in either place, they'll find links to to this demo video. It's about twenty five minutes long, um, and I kind of I want everybody to have that. You know, you don't have to buy the book to get that. And I think you can get a pretty good idea because uh, uh, I really do think everybody should be doing this. Uh, so, w- w- what would I tell them? I would say it's. I would say a. It's really simple. Don't don't be intimidated by it at all. Um, um, just try it. Try you can try it without an audience first. You know, just to convince yourself that you can actually do it. That mm-hmm. Don't you don't have to em- worry about embarrassing yourself in front of coworkers or whatever. But get to, grab somebody and make up some s- some tasks that that are the tasks that are important for people to be able to do on your website, and write them down and hand them to this person and say, "Could you do these?" And think out loud. Tell me what's going through your head, what you're thinking about, what you're looking at while you try and do them. Mm. And that's kind of it. I yeah. would say just try doing that and you will see how easy it is to do and how in watching that one person that you see what's wrong. You know, And I think that would give you the, the incentive to go ahead and, and learn more about it. And there, there's my book. There are, some, there are other great books uh, have on, my, on my website have uh, my recommended reading, but they're... There are several other uh, excellent books about how to do a usability test. Um, uh, Dana Chisnell and uh, Jeff Rubin, uh, they t- just did a revised version of his book. Um, you can still get Joe Dumas and, du- Dumas and Ginny Reddish. Um, it's a very good one. Uh, Carol Barnum's coming out with a new one. So, so there are plenty of books out there. They're very good. Um, the, the benefit of mine, I think, is that it's, it's, it's only what you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> if you get, if you actually get into it, I think you, I recommend that you read one of the others because they're they're all very good and they cover the topic in more detail. But mine is is it takes the uh, makes the assumption that this is not your how you make your living and this is maybe not even part of your job description. Yeah. You know, this is kind of you're taking this on as a pastime because you think it's important that somebody be doing this for your product, that somebody be pay, paying attention to users. And um, so it's kind of it's it's like the least you need to know, yeah. <laughs> which is why it's so short. I mean, but that's that, that's great, isn't it? That that it's very basic level. This is not a complicated thing to do. It is something that anybody can do. Well, and, that's a, you know that's it's not rocket surgery. No, you know? exactly. <laughs> so it's where the title came from was yeah. from the book uh, that, that I think it really is something that anybody can do and and should be doing. And we'll get once they try it, they'll get enthused about doing it because they will see how much you learn in how little time. I I do when I do my workshops, I teach workshops uh, uh, about the same thing at this point about do-it-yourself do- 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 usability testing. And when I do workshops, and even if I'm doing a long 
presentation, if I'm doing a, 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 a presentation that's more than an hour, I'll try and do a live usability test where I'll just grab somebody from the audience and uh, in the workshop I take a site that belongs to somebody who, who is attending and I'll make up a task and I'll do a 15-minute usability test, you know, and, and, and where all I do is I hand them the task and say, okay, go ahead and try and do this and think out loud while you do it. And there's re- it's, the reason why I love doing the live ones is because uh, it shows that there's no magic to it. You know, I don't have anything up my sleeve. This is not canned. And when you watch somebody do it, you, you just say, well, I could do that. All he's doing is, is giving them something to do and keeping them verbalizing, you know, yeah. so you know what they're thinking. And, uh, um, so yeah, so I, I, I really am. I'm kind of worked up about trying to get as many people as possible to, to try doing this because I think once you do it, you get hooked on it. You know, you know, you've done them. I mean, they're they're always interesting. That's yeah, the completely. Even after years, they're always interesting. And uh, you you think you you know I've been working in the web I don't know for for fourteen years or whatever it is, and y- you know you'd think by now uh, nothing would surprise you. Would have me. seen it all. Yes. But no. <laughs> it, 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 you're always there's always somebody that just does something and you think. I've never thought about it that way. I've never, never thought about that, and yet, in a way, that makes perfect sense. Yes, <laughs> if you've got a certain mindset, completely. <laughs> but of course, actually, running a test session is only half the battle because then you get all of this information back. Right. And, you know how do you how do you kind of understand the results and 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 prioritize what to do? Well, that's why I think that's why you know. I, it actually all sort of fits together under this, uh, you know, limiting it to uh, uh, my. The phrase I have in the book is I have these these maxims in the book, and one of them is is a morning a month. That's all we ask. Mm-hmm. Try and get you to 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 say, okay, we're just going to do this one morning a month, and we're going to try and get as many people as possible to come and watch in person, and then get them all to come to lunch and do the debriefing together. And the debriefing, yeah, I, I actually have kind of a worksheet for people to keep track of what they saw, but. You really get people to each person to focus on what were the the three worst problems I saw in each one of these three tests. So they have a list of somewhere between three and nine things that they think were serious problems. And then over lunch, you compare notes. You put them up on a board, and you find that a lot of people, you know, had the same things on their list. Yeah. Uh, and in that context, then you 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 talk about uh, all right. What do we as the team? With all the knowledge that we have, the people who are, who you're watching aren't the experts at all. You're the experts about what this site needs to do and what needs to work and what resources you have available to make it work and, and you know and what your priorities are at the moment. So that's why uh, you know the the team is 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 kind of where the intelligence lies, and they exercise that over lunch. And I, I think you'll find that that if you say we're only going to walk out of this room with a list uh, that's only as long as what we can get done in in the next month with the resources that yeah. we have. Then you 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 don't come out with a long list. That's a part of it. Is you have to focus ruthlessly on just the most important problems, on just what you saw that struck everybody as, well, we can't have our site working like that. You know, that's something that we just we just have to fix that. Yeah, um, and there always are a bunch of those. Um, 
And so, so by limiting it to three people, you're not generating tons of information. You're, you're not if you you're not generating hundreds of problems that people saw. Hopefully, I mean, you, sometimes you may be with three people. <laughs> Depends on what kind of shape the thing's in. But but you're you're hopefully you, the other bad thing about testing eight users at a time is it's overwhelming. I mean, at mm. the end of the day, you have this huge list, and you have a sense that that nothing's working. You know. <laughs> And we have an impossible amount of stuff that that really should be fixed. Yeah, and that's disheartening. Yeah. Um, I mean, so the other thing that I love about this once a month thing is that because you're kind of including as many people in that as possible, and and as many people are coming in and seeing it, right. you're not just doing usability testing. You're shifting the whole culture of your organization to be user focused. Which you know was what I was going to come on to. You know, is how do you how do you create a culture of you know user focused user testing in in your yep. business? But this kind of does that because it, it it makes the user testing process accessible to a lot more people. Exactly by by keeping it short, keeping it on site, uh, and having it at a regular fixed time each each month. I think you maximize your chances of actually getting people to come and, and attend in person. I also highly recommend the highest class of snacks that you can get. <laughs> <laughs> snacks are Absolutely. very important. <laughs> if, you have to, if you have to figure out where you're spending your budget, whether it's on you know, recording or recruiting or whatever, spend it on snacks. <laughs> because one of, one of the maxims I have is make it a spectator sport. You really want to get as many people as possible who are involved to actually come and watch in person yeah. and, and, and take part in the debriefing. Um, some places actually require that if you want to be take part in the debriefing, you have to come to the sessions and watch, yeah. which is interesting. I, 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 I recommend that, but only to the extent that it's politically feasible in your context. You, yeah. you may not be able to get away with that. But, um, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think, I think um, that, that um, the other thing about, about a morning a month is that if you specify a regular interval like that, then you're not basing when you're going to test on when you're going to have something ready. Mm-hmm. So you don't build a test schedule around the around the bit the uh, the you know the points in your in your development timeline where things are going to be ready because you will always have something that you can test once a month. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there'll always be something you can test. It may not be a perfect match of we just finished this version with our dates coming up next week, but it's much more important that you commit to doing it regularly because. Um, if you make it a routine, then you remove that decision of when are we going to test, mm. you know. And if you're still facing that decision of when are we going to test, then as the the you know as the benchmarks in your in your development timeline creep, so does your usability testing schedule. Yeah, and you end up doing less testing. Yeah, um, yeah. So absolutely, I think it all works together. I mean that that's yeah. The very you know I love it. I love everything you're saying. It makes perfect sense to me. Just before we wrap up, because we really yeah. ought to wrap up soon, I do want to ask you about something th- that really I haven't made up my mind over either. So I'm really interested in in what you think about it. Which is that there seems to be have been this explosion of remote user testing services. Mm-hmm. You know, um, these things where you know you can video users remotely. Um, yep. What do you think of them? What you know? What do you see as the pros and cons? of them um i, I actually i <laughs> i actually put in a very short chapter about that oh, and it's about two things one is about about re, about moderated remote testing where basically you're doing the same thing that you would in a normal test only you're not in the same room as the person right so you're using something like go to meeting or net yeah. meeting or whatever uh 
but you are still facilitating the test. You're still watching what they're doing in real time. You're still able to uh, probe. You're still able to keep them thinking aloud. And all, all the, it's exactly the same, except you're not in the same room. And that's that's what most people think of as regular remote testing, which is fabulous because it's, it certainly makes recruiting so much easier. Absolutely, uh, yeah. recruiting goes from people who live within walking distance of our facility to everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, basically. But you're talking about unmoderated remote testing, where uh, the person is you are not in contact with the person while they're doing the test. Basically, you give them the tasks and they do the tasks, but they create some kind of recording or some kind of record, yeah. whether it's automated or whatever. Um, and I actually think this, some of that uh, it can be uh, quite valuable. And the one I recommend in the, in that chapter, I talk about usertesting.com, which is mm-hmm. uh, based in the UK. Uh, uh, and uh, or am I right about that? They are right. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether they're based in the UK, they, but I've heard here? of them. Where are they? Oh no, they're in California. They're in California. I'm, I'm wrong about that. Um, they they um, uh, there are, there are several people kind of following that model now, but they were the ones that, that I was familiar with doing it first. Where basically you send them the URL that you want tested, the task or task that you want the person to do, and so they would take somebody from their pool of, of vetted uh, people who are vetted on the basis of um, they have proven pretty good at doing tasks on a website and thinking aloud while they do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, people uh, sign up to take your, you know, your little job. You tell them how many people you want. Um, people from their pool sign up and say, all right, I want to do this one. And uh, they have a... Um, uh, microphone, and they're basically using, you know, they're doing a screen recording while mm-hmm. they do your task. And for $29 a head, um, you get back like a 15 minute video mm-hmm. of somebody, somebody doing these tests. I find they're actually quite good. They're surprisingly good. Um, if, you know, in that they're, they're effortless. I mean, basically, <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to do any recruiting. You don't have to do anything except spend 15 minutes watching the videotape when it comes back. Yeah. So for 30 bucks, uh, you actually can get a, a, a nice little amount of information. I, they're, for one thing, they're perfect for piloting tests. Yeah. Before you actually bring people in and do them yourself, you can take the tasks that you've written up and, and send out, send them out and have one or two people um, do them through a service like that, and you'll learn a lot about whether you wrote your tasks well or not. Right. You know, for people to use, and so and you would you, see them more as a, a complementary tool rather than a replacement. I do, but they're also yeah, but they're also yeah, they're not a replacement, but they're also quite good if you have um, you know something that comes up, you know, like in between your monthly testing, and something comes up, and you say, boy, it'd be great to have a couple of people try using this. Yeah, then you can just use that, you know. And the the nice thing about it is. Uh, you can usually get your video back within a day. Yeah. So you submit them the task in the URL, and a day later, or even less sometimes, you will have your 15-minute video that you can watch and get some kind of quick take, quick read on whether people are, are going to run into a problem that you think they might be running into. So I, I recommend it quite highly, actually. Oh, okay. But it Wait, do you not find that they're, they're like, you, they end up becoming professional usability testers where well, they're not there representative? Are, there are dangers, and the people, certainly the people at usertesting.com have been in contact with them uh, uh, just because I, I like what they're doing. 
Um, and they're certainly aware of that danger, and the danger is that people may uh, uh, feel like they need to not say anything bad about the site so that the people who, who are yeah. paying you know, paying for the test won't, won't be unhappy. But I, I, ha- I think they're aware of all those dangers, and they try and make that clear to the, the you know, uh, to head that off as much as they can. I just have been ple- very pleasantly surprised, and the people I know who have used it have okay. been very pleasantly surprised at how useful it can be. Okay. Especially because it's like because it's zero effort. You know, yeah. that's the one. <laughs> zero effort zero effort's always good i think then it's, at least uh, it happens it's better than yeah. nothing isn't it well I mean, exactly it's you know it's like it's i mean it's even quicker and dirtier than what i'm recommending so that's that's there's a lot to be said for that yeah, yeah. thank uh, you so much steve for coming on the show it was absolutely <laughs> wonderful to have you and I, i'm really looking forward to getting stuck into the new book rocket surgery made easy yeah, I'd love to hear anything you have to say about it because yeah. I, I know there's going to be a lot of of uh, very interesting feedback about it. So. <laughs> Beautifully put. <laughs> okay, good to talk to you, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Paul. That was very cool. Really enjoy it. I was I was a little giddy child. I was. It's like lovely, and he was so nice. And he's my friend. <sighs> Steve Krug's my friend. Yes, of course he is. He's a cool guy. <laughs> Very cool guy and really quite radical. Some of the stuff he was saying, um, you know, about this this whole idea of um, doing, you know, literally testing three people once a month on a schedule all the time. You know, a very different way of thinking about usability testing. And, I, I, you know, he was much more complimentary about these remote um, user testing services than I was expecting him to be. Generally, very, you know, he, he caught me caught me off guard a couple of times, as you'll, you will have heard from the, the interview. So that's good stuff. Let's move on to, believe it or not, our second interview of the day. <laughs> so our second interview is with Steve Marshall from Yahoo!, who is going to talk a little bit about building better forms. Um, Steve's a great guy. I've known him for a long time. And Steve, I want to apologize to you that it's taken us so long to get this interview out. Unfortunately, we ended up with a bit of a backlog. So um, things didn't go through quite as smoothly as I'd hoped. But it's worth the wait. This is a really good one. Um, and this interview is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify is an e-commerce solution made by designers for designers. And for more information on Shopify, go to shopify.com forward slash Boagworld. And interestingly, Shopify being an e-commerce solution, this one does run without JavaScript. So good on you, Shopify. I'm happy to have you as a sponsor. Okay, here's Steve Marshall's um, interview. Joining me today is Steve Marshall, is, who is here to talk about form design. Hello, Steve. Hey, Paul. It's good to have you on the show. Thanks for agreeing to do this. Um, I think probably the best place for us to start is a little bit of an introduction about who you are, you know, um, and and I guess why... Why form design? Why we're discussing that with you? So a little bit about those two things would be great. Okay. So um, I guess I've been working on the web for about 10 years or so now. Um, For the last three, I've been working at Yahoo. Um, And a lot of what I've been doing at Yahoo has been on, you know, fairly high-profile sites that no one would really think of, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the kind of unsung heroes of the web that serve you know, hundreds of thousands of page requests a day that no one really thinks of as, you know, interesting websites in our community. Mm-hmm. So things like, you know, Yahoo TV, Yahoo Music, games, video games, these sorts of things. And I guess, really, um, the reason I wanted to talk to you guys about this was because it's, it's kind of a subject that's very close to my heart. But there's a lot of basic interactions on the web that 
can be can be made brilliant for everyone um, if only people but put a little little thought into it. Things like search forms. Mm-hmm. A classic example for me is um, on on Google.com and even on on Yahoo Search. You have a search box, and then you have channels, if you like, for that search. So you can say, I would like to search the entire web. I would like to search for images. I would like to search for video. Mm -hmm. These sorts of things. Typically, they're done with links. Now, if a screen reader user, for example's sake, goes to use that form, they can fill out their search keywords, but they will never, ever get to those links because in forms mode, they don't get presented with the links in the form. Oh, okay. Um, And so, you know, a a little bit of thought about what actually the use case for this form is means that you can maybe think about using the right elements for the right purpose. Mm -hmm. Okay, fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, you could come back with the question, you know, why does that matter? You know, why is form design particularly important? Why is it it worth us us discussing? Um, How would you kind of respond to that? So... I guess there are, you know, a couple of things really. For one, it's, you know, it's essentially using using the tools of the of HTML, CSS, JavaScript the way they were intended to be used. You know, using the right pieces of HTML for the for the correct use, if you like. Mm-hmm. You know, so rather than um, rather than sort of grouping things in a in a semantic context, you wouldn't group things like you wouldn't group list items with a paragraph. Mm-hmm. You would group them with an unordered list, um, and and it's it's just a case of doing the same with forms. Furthermore, though, it allows you to enhance accessibility and improve usability in general. It means that your forms just work better for all of the users of your site, mm. you know, whether they be using, you know, the full-on JavaScript-enhanced CSS-enhanced um, version, or if they're on a really really old crappy mobile phone that can only just about show HTML forms. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think as well. There's there's the aspect to it that that forms are, you know, a fundamental user interaction on the web. You know, and and precisely, precisely. yeah, and um, things like calls to action. Sorry, go on. Uh, sorry, I was just going to say, um, particularly given you know the fact that we're getting much more into web applications these days. Mm. Um, a, a really good example of bad use of of the web is Google Mail. Right. Um, it, you know, when they first brought Google Mail out, it was all JavaScript and all really, really badly built. And because they did it this way, and then they didn't want to lose any functionality, they tacked on a basic HTML view. Now, if they'd made the page properly and designed it with correct use of forms, correct use of semantics, all this sort of thing, then they could have just progressively enhanced until they got to the point where the main interface is. And for those user agents that couldn't support all of the you know, the funky multi-selection, blah, 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 they could have just, you know, they would have just not gotten that because they couldn't support it. Yeah, yeah. And it would mean that they would have one interface to maintain rather than the, and I'm just looking at my my Gmail account now, rather than the at least three that they have. Mm. I mean, there's, you know, the, the the thing is, is that so often forms are used, you know, on an e-commerce site, a form is used to make the purchase, you know, is the call to action. Yeah. You know, on a on another site, it's used to sign up to a newsletter. You know, it's it's kind of really fundamental stuff and, and don't... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't often get enough attention, really. It's, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the, the read-write web. And, and the form is the right part. Yeah. You know, the form is, is essentially the only tool, flash aside, it's the only tool 
that we have in, in the core HTML, CSS, JavaScript bucket that we can use for all users of the web that allows them to contribute back to our sites or to, you know, to interact with us. Mm. And so it is very important, but it often gets really heavily overlooked. So let's talk about uh, some potential ways to make your forms more user-friendly. Mm-hmm. What kind of advice would you have um, in regards to that? So it's, it's really about um, going back to basics. Um, stopping for a moment, and you know, it, it's it's great to have really flashy ideas for the the brilliant, wonderful things you can do with JavaScript. But thinking about how your form would be interacted with if you just were using HTML, and a lot of people, you know, say, oh, I, you know, I test my site with just HTML, no CSS and JavaScript. But quite often that goes out the window when they're talking about forms. Um, a, a superb example of this is the work that um, Brad Wright did on. Yahoo Answers with their, um, I think it's their their workflow for adding a question to Yahoo Answers. Mm -hmm. Now, there are hundreds of nested categories on Yahoo Answers that you can add your your question to. Mm -hmm. And in the the JavaScript-y workflow, as with quite a lot of sites, you select from from the first drop-down, and then another drop-down appears with a whole bunch of other categories in it, you know, subcategory-type things. Mm -hmm. Now, what Brad could have done, like most websites, is just present one initial drop-down with all of the initial choices and then another drop-down with every subcategory from every choice or presented one big drop-down with every subcategory listed with its, its major category or something like that. And, you know, and that would have worked. It would have allowed people to select the right category. Mm-hmm. But it would have meant that you, know, you would have to scroll through maybe a couple of hundred different categories to put your question into. Yeah. What Brad did instead is used nested field sets and radio buttons so that you can select your top-level category with one group of radio buttons, and then that is essentially the, the header for a field set, if memory serves. Um, and that field set then contains the radio buttons for, that, for the subcategories of that category. Wow. It's not elegant, you know, and you do get a, a really, really big form, but it, you know, but it makes sense, and it, it provides the same level of information and the same flow that you would get with the, you know, the progressive drop-downs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's things like that, just putting that little bit of extra thought in, thinking about how this might work with HTML. Mm. Um, to, to go back to the, the search example I used earlier, I have to, you know, full disclosure here, this is something that I did myself um, about two or three years ago when I first started working for Yahoo. And it's, it's something that various people trumpet as brilliant and i'm very proud of it very modestly so um but no but i i feel like it's an example that gets abused but it's a good example essentially everyone as i was saying uses uses hyperlinks to to create the channels for their search of course if you don't have javascript you type your search keywords into the box you click on the the images link for example sake to search for images about let's say britney spears and what happens is you get get redirected to the Image, image search homepage with no keywords. Yeah. Which will be really frustrating. The, the way I fix that, if you will, is um, rather than using links, which, as I said, won't be presented to screen readers and will lose your keywords, as, you know, it's just two problems with it, I changed them for radio, radio buttons and styled them to make them look like links. Mm. And it's, it's a really, really simple change, and it just changes the interaction ever so slightly so that people without JavaScript, people using alternative browser modes, all these different things can use that that interaction and can benefit from it. Mm. 
I mean, what other, it's interesting you mentioned that search example. What other kind of accessibility problems are you seeing coming up when people are creating forms? There's, I guess most of the problems are, are around people not thinking about the way that their form, um, the way that their form would be interacted with in alternative browsers. Mm. And, and the classic example is the screen reader. But things like um, screen magnification, people um, may not necessarily group the form fields together or may put the errors away from the form fields to which they're related. Yeah. And so if, if you've, you've got someone with screen magnification who doesn't necessarily get, or potentially tunnel vision, who doesn't get quite such a broad view of the page, you know, they only get maybe the couple of hundred pixels that they've got magnified, they don't necessarily have the context of the error message right next to the form and so they don't get to see that error message and will get frustrated by that. Mm. I mean, to be honest, uh, I think that, you know, that even applies with with perfectly, you know, with normal vision users as well, that, you know, if yeah, you have yeah, a, an error message at the top of the form and you scroll down to the bottom, you know, it, it, you need to put the error messages where you're interacting, where the error is occurring, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, almost all of this stuff makes... Uh, with a couple of exceptions, it makes life easier for, for your regular users as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, it, it just, if it doesn't improve life for everyone, it improves life generally for a significant enough portion of your user base that, that it's worth paying attention to, I think. Mm. What about um, JavaScript? You've mentioned JavaScript a couple of times, and although um, I've, you know, I would entirely agree that um, you need to use JavaScript to progressively enhance a basic HTML version. Um, I mean, there are some cool things and useful things you can do with JavaScript, um, you know, when it comes to forms. And I was just interested in your opinion about, you know, what examples of good JavaScript use have you seen with forms? So the absolute best one that I've, well, in fact, two um, that I've seen are um, on the Yahoo Finance site. One of which is the, the currency converter. You know, it's a really, really simple thing to do, a currency converter, or so you would think. Um, but the work that's been put into the, the currency converter on finance is so superb. They do things like you type into, into the text box to specify which country, uh, which country or currency you want to convert from. And as you type, it will intelligently search through lists of countries giving you their, their currencies if you don't know the currency for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, currency codes, if um, you search for currency code, the full name of the currency and a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's, it's just really smoothly designed. But if you don't have JavaScript, it still gives you a very, very good base interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, the other example on finance is um, you have the ability to change the layout of the, um, of the top stories page. Changing layouts, you know, is, is something that a lot of people do on a lot of different sites, typically CMS-type things. Um, and what, what they've done on the finance site is made this, this thing work with JavaScript, but it's, um, it's actually been built so that for screen readers and for various other users, it works flawlessly. You don't have to necessarily be able to see the form to be able to move the items up or down in the list. Okay, um, and quite a lot of people would would say, okay, well, you should be able to drag and drop the items. Well, that's great, but what about the people who don't, who can't use a mouse, for example? Yeah, you know, and, and things like that have been considered. I mean, do you think that there is a case where 
you know, although that, you know, something works at a basic level without JavaScript enabled, that, you know, that it's not always necessary to provide exactly the same functionality, you know. That, oh, completely. Yeah. Completely. Um, that's, I mean, that's the the interesting thing about the, the likes of the currency converter and the finance layout changer is the fact that the functionality is not presented identically, but it, it still gives you the core functionality, particularly with the currency converter. It still gives you the core com- functionality you want to be able to convert from one currency to another. Mm-hmm. It's just that with the JavaScript version, it gives you much more entry into it. So you can do things like, say, I'm going to Guatemala. I don't know what the currency is, but give me, you know, give me the Guatemalan currency exchange with the pound. Mm-hmm. And you, yeah. you don't have to know that, whereas with the, the non-JavaScript version, if memory serves... You know, you would have to know which currencies you want. Yeah. It gives you the option to search for them, but you would have to, to actually use the interface, you'd have to, you know, know those currency codes. Um, so, so, yeah, using JavaScript to provide a, a different um, but enhanced um, interaction is perfectly fine, so long as you can achieve the same results. And that's, that's the key thing, is thinking about what the problem is and what the best way to achieve that, uh, you know, to solve that problem is in in you know the situation you're in, whether that be plain old HTML or whether that be fully WYSIWYG JavaScript crazy nonsense. <laughs> crazy nonsense. Is that a technical term? Yes, that's a very <laughs> Okay, I mean, for for some of the people out there that may be, um, you know, are, are not, you know, they're not the Yahoos of this world, they're not mm-hmm. the Googles of this world, you know, that are just ba- creating fairly basic sites. What's the kind of fundamental advice that you would want to give people about form design? What are the things that they should be considering at the most basic level? Okay, um, so I guess the big thing is, as I've, as I've said a couple of times, think about what your HTML is doing. Yeah. You know, by all means, think about how you would like it to work with JavaScript. But before you start implementing, think, think about how this should work without JavaScript and without CSS. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also worth you know, paying attention to, um, to accessibility experts in the world because that may, may impact the way, you, the way you create copy for your form, for example. Um, one of my absolute favorite pieces of advice is one that Anne McMeekin gave um, at a talk she did for the, for the Web Standards Group where... She told everyone there that apparently screen screen readers in certain configurations will read out the um, legend of a field set before each and every field with you know before each and every input within that field. Yeah. So, um, for example, if you have a field a field whose label is um, the web and the legend of the field set that it's in is search, that will be read out as search the web. Yeah. And you know, try to use these sorts of things to your advantage, um, but at the same time, at least be aware of them so you're not flying in the face of, you know, of your users, essentially, and, and making their experience worse. Yeah, it is really all about just thinking about what's the, the lowest barrier to entry, what is the core functionality that you're working with. Mm. I mean, ter- you mentioned earlier form mode um, for screen mm-hmm. readers users. Can you explain that a little bit more? Because I don't think... You know, I, I, I confess that I only relatively recently found out about this form mode. Um, and, and I don't think a lot of users realize the consequences of that. Can you explain how yeah. that works? Okay, so um, full disclosure, I'm not, you know, I'm not an accessibility guru. 
Um, this is all information I've just picked up from having sure. conversations with our accessibility gurus here. Um, essentially, screen readers are modal because you know because the users of screen readers can't see the web page. The screen reader presents them with with various different interfaces um, onto the page, and you can you know you can read through the page as a normal user would in HTML, reading through element by element, paragraph by paragraph, and that's fine. But when you want to interact, you obviously need different types of controls. And so screen readers provide what's known as forms mode. And this is a special mode for editing inputs and working with forms, where the screen reader um, will only present, um, as I understand it, form fields, labels, and titles of field sets. So links, paragraphs of text. These sorts of things won't be presented when you're in forms mode. Mm. I mean, um, that's, that has real serious consequences, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. It has massive implications. So quite often people will provide explanatory text after a form field that's not entirely clear or whose label is not entirely clear, saying you need to fill out this field in this, this format. So date fields are a classic example. You know, they will put a paragraph underneath saying must be in the format DDMMYYY. Mm -hmm. And a screen reader user will never get that. Yeah. That will never be presented to them because it's in a paragraph. If the person building that form uh, just took a couple of minutes to rethink the way they were putting the label together and you know put the label with date and then a span around must be in form whatever inside of the label and then styled it however they wanted, the screen reader user would, would get that and they would get all the advantages of knowing what format it should be in. I mean, it's all, it strikes me it's all about actually using the, the form tags that are available to us to the full degree. I mean, so many of us don't use things like groups and, and legends and, you know, all of yeah, those exactly. kinds of things. Um, yeah, precisely. And the, the interesting thing is that these things that aren't really used are actually really, really beneficial. So, for example, um, field sets, again, as I understand it, I may be slightly misquoting here. Um, field sets um, allow um, screen reader users to more easily jump between sections of a form. And so if, for example, you have optional pieces of your form and they're grouped in a field set which says, you know, further details, brackets optional as the legend of that field set, and they don't want to fill out those further details, they can just jump over it to the mm. next field set. Mm. Which yeah is amazingly valuable. I mean, if as soon as you listen to a screen reader and and hear how laborious it is, being yeah, able to yeah. skip over content is really important. I mean, for, the, for those of us who are who are lucky enough to you know be fully visually capable and fully able to use motor skills, because of course this, um, whilst I think about it, this um, doesn't just apply to screen reader users. This applies to people who have potentially fine motor skill issues, um, so they have to navigate with a keyboard. Which then you get into things like tab index and stuff like that. Exactly, exactly. Um, which is, you know, a whole other um, holy war that I dread to get into for <laughs> upsetting someone. Um, yeah, you know, these sorts of things, again, can help with that. And thinking about those sorts of things just makes everyone's life easier. Because, I mean, for example, I don't always use the mouse. I will quite often use the keyboard. Yeah. You know, and I'm perfectly able with my hands and perfectly... Um, able to see 
but I will cut off in tabs or a form simply because my fingers are already on the keyboard and it saves me moving my fingers a couple of inches because I'm lazy. <laughs> so, I mean, you've kind of mentioned, uh, uh, you know, a couple of people in this that um, mm-hmm. you've learnt various things from. Uh, you know, if if people want to learn more about kind of form accessibility and form design and that kind of thing, wh- where would you refer them to? Who who do you really respect in this kind of field and that, you know, they should be following? Oh, wow. Um, so... I guess the people who, in terms of in terms of pure accessibility, um, I would say definitely Mike Davies, who goes by Isafaro or Isolani exchangeably. Um, ben Hawks Lewis, who I don't think has a blog, um, okay. or if, if he does, doesn't blog enough. Um, Dirk, um, and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this right, Dirk Gineda, um, okay. who is post, uh, who I think is web output de, right, um, and. I, those three guys particularly, Anne McMeekin, um, who goes by the name of Pixel Diva, mm-hmm. all of those guys are absolutely invaluable resources in terms of HTML, CSS, accessibility type stuff. Other than that, I, I have to admit I don't really know because this stuff is, is stuff that people don't talk about enough. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and so it's very much a case of you have to sort of scratch what you can find from you know from what's left on the web, if you like. Yep. Okay, Steve. Thank you for that. That was that was very helpful. It's good to kind My of pleasure. dig under the surface a bit. So thanks for coming on the show, and hopefully we'll have no you problem. on again soon. Yeah, hope so. Thanks, Paul. Bye bye. Okay, so that was um, our interview with Steve Marshall, and that you know, Steve also takes photographs of bands. Steve is yeah, he's a very good photographer. He is a good photographer. He's a man of hidden depths. He showed me lots of very cool photographs while I was a bit drunk. Mine so was he. To be fair. I was just at South by, by any <laughs> yeah, chance. Yes, it was. <laughs> Do you know the other thing about Steve? It's impossible to find a good photograph of him. <laughs> I tried to find a photograph for the show notes, and it just it, he either looks mad or drunk. Basically, yes. you've got a choice between the two. <laughs> so that about wraps up this week's show, except for obviously Marcus's joke. I bet you see, see. I feel sorry for the people that listen to the bite-sized versions of this show because they miss out on your joke, Marcus. I, I can't believe that anyone downloads them. Pra- do they? They don't, do they? But just- they do. <laughs> They're growing in popularity. Uh, what well, does that mean? I don't have to do jokes anymore. No, you have to. Okay. Yeah, we're still part of it. Uh, perhaps you ought to release your joke as its own bite size. No. Maybe not. No? <laughs> Don't think that justifies a whole blog post. I think maybe own. one a year might be good enough for that. And just do a compilation. You could edit out all of the jokes from all of the shows, put yes, them together. Yes, I could. could that would be a great plan. I like that. I'm not going to do that. Are you not going to do Do you it? want me to tell this, this Yeah, joke? tell this joke so we can wrap the show up. This is from Eugene. Thank you very much. I don't know. I can't decide whether I like it or not. It's one of those. Um, a married couple was in a terrible accident where the woman's face was severely burned. The doctor told this the husband... This is not a good start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're making a joke about Burns victims. Yeah, I am. Okay. I can't remember where it goes. Anyway, I'm just going to read on. The doctor told the husband that they couldn't graft any skin from... Oh, I remember, yeah. From her body because she was too skinny. So the husband offered to... Do- so, hang on a minute. This is an anorexic Burns victim. Anorexic this burn. is getting better. Yeah. Okay. No, it's about generosity and all things like that. <laughs> so the husband offered to donate some of his own skin. 
However, the only skin on his body that the doctor felt was suitable would have to come from his buttocks. Yes, that's a surprise. I could see that well, coming. Well, you know, but that's probably where there is a lot of skin. I imagine so. Depends, I guess, how fat and, you are. And, and sort of quite, you know, malleable, maybe. <laughs> that's a good word, isn't it? Malleable. Anyway, the husband and wife agreed that I'll they would... I'll be sure to would... use it more in conversation. Yes. Sorry, am I interrupting this joke too much? I, I, don't, I don't mind <laughs> as much as you like. I can, I can just about keep... Uh, no, I can't. I've lost where I am. <laughs> uh, the husband and wife agreed that they would tell no one about where the skin came from and requested that the doctor also honour their secret. Let me... Let, can I guess what the end? Does he have a tattoo on his back, backside? No. Oh, no, that would have been ha, cool. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, yes, that would have actually been probably better than the actual punchline, <laughs> but there we go. Um, after all, it was a very delicate matter. After the surgery was completed, everyone was astounded at the woman's new beauty. She looked more beautiful than, than she had ever done before. All her friends and relatives just went on and on about her youthful beauty. One day, she was alone with her, with her husband, and she was overcome with emotion at his sacrifice. She said, I just want to thank you for everything you did for me. There's no way I could ever repay you. And he replied, I get all the thanks I need every time I see your mother kiss your cheek. <laughs> no, that is funny. <laughs> I like there that. You go. That is a good one. All right. Thank you very much, Marcus. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, for joining us. Now, the show is done and dusted. We will return next week um, with our pre-South By show. So we'll be overexcited children. Just like that. Yeah. Except nobody can see that. It's an audio podcast, Marcus. Is that it? Is that how we're going to end? <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. The podcast for those involved in designing, developing, and running websites on the